Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen, the show that we do for our Action 22 community and people around the world. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain. So we have actually a really cool show for you today. We don't have any guests, but one of my very favorite things about Brian, and I make him do it all the time, is tell me a story. Um, If you're a friend of mine, you'll remember that I always will ask somebody, this is the way I greet you. What good stories do you have for me? And so I do this with Brian all the time. It's one of my favorite things. So we're going to talk about a a couple of cool things and then a couple of crazy things. Um, But first, um, we've had a really hectic week this week. We were in the San Luis Valley yesterday. Um, We gave testimony on, um, I gave testimony on Senate Bill 200, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, And we've just had a bunch, a bunch going on because, you know, it's mid, it's the halftime for the session. And so this keeps, has come up. What we're going to talk about first is um, a project that uh, Senator Hickenlooper and Senator Bennett um, have introduced legislation to support. Not yet. It's um, Representative Nagoose and um, Buck started it. And I think um, the senators will have their companion bill on it soon. Okay, cool. So tell us what this project is, because this is actually really cool. And when I first heard about it, I wasn't sure, but you set me straight. So... 2007-ish, I worked for Senator Wayne Allard, and in Colorado, we have the Granada War Relocation Center. We refer to it as Camp Amachi, and what it was was during World War II, they set up internment camps around the country. I I don't know how many there were total, but it was basically they took um, Japanese Americans after the attack on Pearl Harbor. The government said they may have loyalties to Japan. So they set up these relocation camps. They were internment camps, basically. Um, And and there's a lot that goes on with that where property was seized, Japanese property was seized, and they put them in these camps and basically locked them up because they didn't know if they can trust them. But in Colorado, we have the Granada War Relocation Center, also known as Camp Amachi. And just, I'll, I'll just read it from here, just the introduction. It was a Japanese-American concentration camp located in southeast Colorado, about a mile west of the small farming community of Granada. Um, going back to my, my Senator Allard days, we tried to pass a bill. We introduced a legislation that would basically make this camp, which is so important to the history of America and Colorado, good and bad reasons, um, in 2006 and seven, and it would basically make the Amachi camp a national historic site. Unfortunately, this was at the end of Senator Allard's uh, tenure in, in the Senate, and we got no traction on it. Like we thought it was a slam dunk. We're like, this is so important to Colorado. We need to let people know that this is here. This needs to be recognized nationally, but it didn't go anywhere. Um, now, um, again, Representative Goose and Representative Buck they introduced HR 2497, which is the Amachi National Historic Site Act. Okay. And what this would do, if it's signed into law, 
And again, we're uh, waiting on the Senate version of the bill, which I think is either happening now or will soon, because I know Senator Hickenlooper's office has been engaged with us on this. Right. Um, it would make it a national historic site. And with that comes funding. Um, it will preserve it. It will make it one of these places in the United States that's very important to American history. Um, and just even the tourism alone in the area, and I, I hate to put tourism with an intern camp, but people need to see this. Um, and when I, it first came to us, you know, Sarah's like, oh, that's an intern. Why would we want yeah, to do something like that? But it's the same thing as like the Holocaust Museum. There's things that have happened for reasons in history that we need to recognize and we need to be educated about. Um, this camp, uh, this was a result of executive order 9066 uh, over in 1942, 120,000 Japanese Americans were evacuated and placed into temporary assembly centers before being transferred to more permanent and isolated relocation centers, uh, centers like Granada. Um, this was run by the War Relocation Authority, the government body responsible for the administration of the incarceration program. Granada, or Camp Amanchi, was one of 10 such camps, the only one to be built on private land. The campsite covered 10,000 acres, of which only 640 acres was used for residential community and administrative buildings, while the rest was devoted to agricultural projects. Um, and this, this also comes into Colorado because since it was built on private land, um, you know, they used eminent domain and, and I don't, there was some controversy with it. I think some of the people sold and then one of them had to be um, taken by the government through eminent domain. But in Colorado, we also have Pinion Canyon, which is another site of controversy where the military trains and there's always this talk to expand it, to keep it, to get rid of it. Um, you know, through eminent domain, the military needs more land to train. Right. Uh, it would have to use eminent domain for these ranches or, or are they going to sell? So it's, this is like a, an issue in Colorado that's actually gone on in many different cases, which is. Now, have they made um, internment camps, national historic sites in any place else? Because there, this certainly wasn't the only one that they had in the U.S. during World War II. No. Um, so. I believe, and I'm just looking at these notes, in 2006, President George W. Bush signed H.R. 1492 into law, guaranteeing $38 million in federal money to restore the Granada Re Relocation Center and nine other former Japanese-American internment camps. Um, I don't think they're um, sites, but they are nationally, they're historic sites. So it's they, not, they are it's historic different sites. than what they're trying to do. This is like the next big step into making this codified that this is a federal, you know, site and this is why it's here. Um, interestingly enough about Camp Amachi, um, you know, they, they had the Japanese Americans there. And again, these are Japanese, these are Americans. These are not Japanese citizens right. living in America. These are Americans. Um, they, they had machine gun towers and this is all off the top of my head from talking to people, but um, you know, they had machine gun nests. They were never manned. Very rarely did they actually carry guns. Um, the the camp, you had doctors, lawyers, farmers that were Japanese-American that, you know, worked as a doctor. They even had a, a police force that was run by the Japanese. But in all these cases, they always had an American, non-Japanese person in charge. And their wages were far more than the Japanese. Right. Like the American doctor 
is getting paid way more than the Japanese American doctor in this. But well, and they and the people that were in the camp, they would go to other places and work. They would bus them, and that they would. Well, so the idea was that um, they would be self-sufficient. So they had the farmland around it. They grown their own food. But interestingly enough, the community um, there was some people that didn't like it, and th- there's multiple political reasons why. Like. Um, some of the poor farmers and ranchers in the, the towns around said like, hey, they're getting more than we have because this is at the tail end of the depression. Right. So right. they thought, oh, we're catering to the Japanese Americans, but we're not taking care of American citizens. But that was rare. That was a small percentage. Um, the, the actual towns, they started carrying Japanese products. They, you know, capitalism, they're going to yeah. sell. They have customers. Yeah. Um, and the, the people in the camp that were interned there actually had passes. They'd go to town on the weekends. They'd go shopping. They would go out. Um, but the, the interesting thing is they formed a football team. Yes. They formed a high school football team. And supposedly, this is this kind of up in there, they, they were undefeated or they lost one game. Um, one noteworthy event was when Amachi football team played the undefeated football team from Holly, Colorado, which was located 11 miles east of Amachi on Highway 50. The game was unique because Holly actually agreed to come to the camp and play Amachi on their home field. So they actually played in the camp here. Um, but one of Holly, one of the Holly team players was actually Roy Romer, <laughs> who ended up becoming governor of Colorado. Right, right. Um, the Amachi team won the game by a score of seven to zero. And the only touchdown coming from Amachi was through a trick play. And so technically the Amachi high school football team can be claimed to be undefeated on their own field, which is, which is which, huge. They, they also there, um, and this isn't even in my notes, but you can find pictures of it. The Amachi camp had a division of the Boy Scouts. Oh. And when they met and they did everything, it was the Boy Scouts of America. They flew the American flag. They did their Boy Scout duties all in the camp. And afterwards, uh, when, they, when they shut these down, um, and there's, if you go on Wikipedia and just look it up, there's, I mean, there's like 40 people that came just from the Amachi camp here that went on to do great things in, in America from politicians to doctors to professors uh, he wasn't here, but he was in a different one. But George Takai from Star yeah, Trek, he yeah. was in an internment camp. In, what, in Alabama or something, uh, right? I think it was California. I, I forget. Yeah. But, um, but the thing is, um, some of these, these people, um, the Japanese Americans that were there, they actually stayed here in the community. And they stayed in Colorado. And growing up, um, my grandfather's house the the guy that lived behind him was a Japanese American and he was actually interned there at the camp. And I remember my grandpa telling me about it and I just didn't get it. I was like six, right. you know, I was like, why would they lock people up in a camp? Like, yeah, this is bad. But um, I had the privilege of speaking to him two times and that was it. And he had a, a beautiful garden. Uh, we were over by city park in Pueblo, if you're familiar with that area. And, and it was, there wasn't a house behind it. So it was just like this empty lot in the middle of this gorgeous neighborhood and the guy behind, he had this beautiful garden. So as a kid, I'd go out there and he'd be like, hey, do you want to, you know, do you want an apple? Do you want to do this? Because the, the house was built on an old apple farm gotcha. or apple orchard. Right. And um, yeah, so I, I kind of looking back, I wish I would have spoke more to him and remembered what he told me. But 
he was interned in the camp here in Colorado and he stayed here and he had a, you know, he, he had a successful life. I think he was, uh, ended up being a doctor and he retired and that's when I talked to him, but. So there's a, a really sweet, and I think it's like a Hallmark movie or something um, with Carrie Russell where that camp um, is featured. It's not about the camp, but mm-hmm. it's featured in that movie. Um, that's a lot of fun. So we really like, um, we really like that they're going to do this. I think it's important for us when you explained it to me, I was like, why would we do this? And then um, you explained to me the importance of really remembering. So we don't repeat mistakes of yes. the past. Yes. And, and just, you know, I, I don't know much about this, but you had the Nisi troops um, and the army had a restriction against the Nisi. Um, th- basically they listed them as enemy aliens, inelig- ineligible for active service after Pearl Harbor, but the, the Nisi were second generation Japanese, but they were Americans. Oh, and okay. um, a lot of them in, the, in these camps volunteered to go fight. And it was interesting because they would go to Japan to fight for America and I think that, you know, it was almost to a point where we were, we were policing the American troops to look out for the Nisi. But, mm. you know, the, there's one division that the Nisi fought in, and it's called the Purple Heart Division. And it was the most Purple Hearts awarded to any Army division. And it was a Japanese-American division. Oh, wow. And at the, the camp at Amachi, there is a memorial for the Nisi soldiers that volunteered. And they weren't forced. These people volunteered to go fight for what they believed in. And in a time when, you know, America was kind of not doing maybe the right thing, you know, they were locking American citizens up in internment camps. They still believed in America so much that they chose to volunteer to fight against Japan in World War II. And while their families were internment camps, they still and did that. And while their families were interned, their families were interned by the government they were fighting for. And, and that's, that's important. And, and we have to remember this. We have to, yeah. we have to keep our history sacred and make sure we're aware of what we did, what we did not do, what happened and why it happened. And that's why this bill is so important. This is why, when I worked on it in Senator Allard's office, this was a huge thing. And we thought it was a slam dunk, but at the time they didn't, I guess the other senators didn't think so, but it is a breath of fresh air to see Nagoose and Buck introduce this and we'll see the Senate side do it as well. Right. And this kind of goes to the, the saying, you know, stay the course. If you have something, if you have a goal that's right, stay the course because eventually if it is the right thing to do it'll, it'll get there happen. and going back to 2006-7 when i worked on this initially it's staying the course and i'm so thrilled to see this bill come up and it, it's a great thing for colorado it's a great thing for japanese americans it's a great thing for our veterans and it's just an important part of history that we can't forget and this will just help lock it in for everybody to be aware of so senator bennett and um senator hickenlooper are going to be having a roundtable discussion uh, in the next few days. I think it's tomorrow and we'll be in the middle of our um, transportation um, discussion that we're having tomorrow. So we won't be able to get on there, but they're really wanting to know what everybody's thinking about this and, and um, seeing if there's any comments or any thoughts on this. So if you do have something, we'll send it on to both of their offices. Um, you can email us at show at action22.org. Again, that's show at action22.org and let us know um, about that. 
And and to follow on to that, um, I got to give a shout out to Kip Schrutz because he's very involved with this or monitoring it. But we have uh, Japanese Consul General located in Denver. And oh, yeah. I, I've met with her and um, I would like to possibly invite her on the show. And, and if we could make that happen, I think that would be a great discussion. Oh, that would. That um, would. I would love that. To see her thoughts on it um, and how she feels about it. And just go through the history. And I've met with her a couple times and she's amazing. Um, and a, what a beautiful history that is. Um, I love that they're going to do this. Uh, now that I understand it better, I love that. Beautiful and tragic. Beautiful and tragic. You can't really say beautiful, but it is. Beautiful but it and is tragic. beautiful. Yeah. And it's, there's, uh, there's tragedy to it and it's, there's a lot to it. Um, so we had, Everybody's talking about Senate Bill 200 right now. Yes. Um, we, the hearing was earlier this week. Um, Senate Bill 200 was uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction and environmental justice. There's been a whole lot of pushback on this particular bill. Um, it did pass out of the committee in a split 4-3 uh, vote. Uh, so it's going, it's going on to finance. We, and we've talked about on the show before, but this was one of those that when we sent it out to the Action 22 Board of Directors to take a position on it, they, it was one of the fastest responses mm-hmm. I'd ever seen um, when we do that. And um, it was unanimously and passionately opposed to this. And that's why you testified it. Against it, correct? And we, te- I testified against it. Uh, there was a whole lot of testimony. It went late into the evening. Um, I think they finally finished with testimony. It was nine thirty-seven. I remember looking at my clock and going, "It's nine thirty-seven." Um, and so, I think, I think that the the sponsors of the bill are trying to do something important. They're trying to do something that they'd like to see replicated across the nation. But mm-hmm. here's my issue. My issue with this is they're trying to pass legislation that would really um, affect um, Coloradans in the negative way. And they're trying to do it for folks in complete other states. So the decision that they're making for Coloradans is a decision that would be made, doesn't really affect Coloradans in anything but a negative way. And I'll give you an example. One of the things that they want to do, um, that they would do is shut down all the coal factories, completely shut them down, or coal plants, sorry, all coal plants um, way earlier than what was originally decided. So there's two parts to this. One is that there's a tremendous amount of really positive, really great work that was done by this state in the last couple of years. Goals were set. XL Energy um, is the one that owns Comanche power plant that's Mm -hmm. here in Pueblo. So this is right where we live. Um, All the really great work that was done to set very aggressive goals And everybody that came to the table and really gave up a lot to get all of this done, 
This totally disregards that. It totally disregards the really great work that was done. And in fact, the governor has come out against this bill and the energy office um, testified in opposition to this bill. And it's for that reason, because it was a huge and heavy lift and everybody gave everything that they could give to do that. But not only that is they did what they could do as far as the technology had set it up. Now, we're going to unwind all that. We're going to take that all back. So I'll tell you an example. Um, and and being um, a minority woman in an underserved region, where I run the organization. I do all of that. So I check all the boxes of what they're talking about. I can tell you that the uh, this underserved area, that that's what they're trying to serve, that would be so much more detrimental. And here's why. If they close the power plant, if they close Comanche 3, um, earlier earlier than... than, It is scheduled to close. That's the thing. It It is scheduled scheduled to to close. close. And originally it was scheduled to close in what, uh, 2070 or something? I think it was 2070. I mean, it was way down. But when they did this energy roadmap um, a couple of years ago and everybody bought in and everybody came to the table, they said, you know what? We can close these other two down but we're, we have to leave this open because the technology hasn't caught up. We don't have the transmission. We don't have any way to replace that coal um, and that, that energy production. We cannot do it, but this is the best that we can do. Um, and so they said they're going to shut it down in 2040, right? Comanche was going to yeah, be shut down in 2040. They said they could do it by 2040. And what this does is 2030 or earlier. And this does 20, 30 or earlier. So all of those jobs that they were trying to transition and they, we call it just transition. And yep. there's all these things that we say that we're going to replace that, but it's going to cost the County of Pueblo um, $15 million a year. Yeah. And there's debt that Pueblo County has taken out in order to do all of these really great community building projects. And now you've just said, we're taking 15 million away from you. And there's nothing to backfill that. There's no way to do that. In addition to that, it would tremendously drive up the cost for consumers in this area when we do that. So not only will there not be, there's not a reliable setup to do it. They didn't do it in a way that was productive. They just say, we want to do something and it's environmental justice and we have to do this. It flies in the face of reason. What they're saying that they're trying to do has already been done. And they, and they got up and, and um, Senator Donovan talked at great length about her frustration that things hadn't moved as quickly as they had. But if you look at the work that was done, the concessions that were made, it was incredibly fast. Um, and it's moving very quickly. And everybody, there's every indication that we'll meet those goals or more. But what they really wanted to do and what we heard in the committee is they want to mandate that that's happening. And it's already happening. And so there was a lot of frustration and fear that what they're trying to do will actually derail everything that's all the really great work that's being done. Mm-hmm. So that's Senate Bill 200. Um, I don't even know what else to say about it. No, it, I just, I would throw this in there. You know, Pueblo has committed to being a, a green energy city. Yes. And most of the county by a certain timeline, which was ahead of everybody else. And, yes. and they signed a, 
pledge with the governor's office and everything. And, and this coming in, it's like, we're already doing that, but what this will do is just impact Pueblo negatively. And Pueblo County came out against it as well. Yes, they which did. Which, if you look at it like a, a county and city that's very focused on climate action, going green, you know, 100% renewables by this time, and then they came out in opposition of this bill. So that's saying something. And it does, it's, it's a huge financial impact to the county. And I just don't see how this could be good for Pueblo in any way. And we're already yeah. going there, no matter how you feel about, you know, coal versus renewables, et cetera. Pueblo's already making that transition and they have been for years now. And, you know, Comanche 3, it's a clean coal fired plant. It's not like dumping stuff in the river. It's not polluting the environment. There's not a black cloud coming out of it right now. Yeah. So the attainment that we talk about on the greenhouse emissions and and all of those things, let me say one thing that was repeated over and over again in the hearing was that um, there was not a, there was a trust factor that they talked about and they don't trust um, utilities um, unless it's in the statute that they don't trust them to actually reach their goals. If it's not in the statute, not one person recognized the fact, not one um, of the people that said that recognized the fact that the Excel's Ener- energy plan that was incredibly aggressive was put into statute and they got pushed back from other folks in the industry because they, the idea is the technology that is required to do, to do this heavy lift hasn't completely been um, created yet. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, okay, you, there has to be some, some estimation on this. And there has to be, there's no solid in a very dynamic industry that is moving an incredible rate. So we're talking about trying to put solid things onto a dynamic um, industry that is already so regulated um, that they need the space to make this work. And what this says is, we don't trust you to do that. We don't think you can do that. Um, and we're going to force you into something that is really unattainable. And it flies in the face of all goal-making rules. Yeah. And another thing, I talked to some renewable people, a few of them, the past few days. And one thing that they said was like, it, it actually kind of makes them a little nervous too, because all the weight of this uh, energy generation is going to go on them. And they're like, we can't handle this right now. Like we're close, but this is a lot to pick up at once if this goes through and then we're going to see this timely shift, like super fast shift to solar, wind, um, even gas, uh, anything. They're like, we may not be able to pick that up right away and everybody's going to expect us to. So yeah. they're a little nervous about it too. I'm not saying they don't want it to happen. But, well, and the transmission but infrastructure. And, and transmission is a, a, another thing, you know, we're, we're looking, just talking today about the Valley. Um, there's some, some good ideas coming out and there's transmission modernization of the infrastructure and lines that we're seeing and both through legislation and through programs, but there's still areas like the San Luis Valley where they don't have a plan yet to modernize that. And, and if you're talking solar, like the Valley is the place to be, they just don't have the lines. They don't, they don't. Eventually they will, it will get there. And there's a push for that. But right now they just, they don't have the transmission down there. And when they do, it'll be great. It'll be great. But right now it's not. 
Um, before we go to before we go to a break, I do want to leave it on a really positive. We were really excited, and we want to give props um, on this. So, a big, huge um, high five to the House Ag, Livestock, and Water um, Committee, who just um, named Representative Mark Caitlin, who is a Republican, to um, as vice us. chair. Um, and this is a big deal because this is unprecedented that a member of the minority party would be named to a leadership role of any kind in a dem controlled committee. Well done. You guys are doing it right when you try to bring everybody together. So well done committee, ag committee. And with that, we'll go to break we'll and go to break. come back and talk about UFOs. UFOs, yay! <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State, and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm super excited to talk about UFOs. Okay, so 
full disclosure, Brian and I actually end up talking about UFOs quite a bit in this office. I am totally bought in. I'm an absolute believer. Um, my This is one of some of my favorite stories. So my dad served in, um, was in the Coast Guard and he served in the Bermuda Triangle. So I was raised on these kinds of stories. So I was a believer before I met you, but I'm super excited for you to talk about UFOs. Okay. I'm going to geek out. We're going to do some fun. Um, <laughs> everything we're doing is like doom and gloom, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> we're tired. So, we, yeah, we so this is a break. Um, so a few years ago, you saw a video release. It was like the a couple of videos, the Tic Tac and the Gimbal. And this was from uh, Commander Dave Fraber. Um, what had happened was he was a, a flight squadron commander in the Navy. Um, and they were flying, doing exercises. And they get this hit says, hey, go check this out. So I, I think, I forget where this is off the coast of, but anyway, they're, they're flying from an aircraft carrier, whatever. Um, there's boats and they're like, we're picking this up. So they get out there and you could look up the, the video, just Google Tic Tac or Gimbal video. And they see this thing. And so some of the reports, they say certain things and it's like, oh, this was just a, an optics problem, a software problem. This is around 2008, I believe. Okay. So he's been talking about it because since those videos were leaked, uh, the New York Times actually confirmed it and the Pentagon confirmed it. Like, yeah, this is legitimate. We don't know what these are. We're referring to them as um, UAPs. They have the ATIP program, which is was kind of like, it doesn't exist and it does. And now they're saying, yeah, we have this program that's funded that investigates these UAPs. That's a UFO. So okay. instead of calling it a UFO, they call it a UAP. What is UAP? Uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon. Oh, okay. So, That's a cooler name, by the yeah, way. so once they, once they confirm it, you know, he's like doing the, the circuit and speaking and he never even says it's aliens. He's like, I don't know what it is. It could be aliens, it could be, you know, enemy aircraft. Yeah. We don't know. But they basically intercept this thing. They fly around it. They watch it, like do a maneuver where it goes from know, like 30,000 feet to zero feet and then less than a second. And then it shoots off. So then they come back to their, their carrier group. And it's there and it, it actively showed up where they were supposed to go and they see it again and then it jams the radar and stuff. So this video gets leaked out. Okay. So now he has a pass to talk about it. The Pentagon comes out like, yep, it's real. We can confirm Wait, 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 this. wait, wait. Okay. So the original video happened in 2008. Two, yeah. This was filmed in 2008. Okay. It was, and it was the leaked out in 2018 or 19. Okay. And it was out there, but nobody said anything about it. And then the New York Times broke an article, I think in 2019 saying, yep, this is legit. Or maybe it was 2020. And they said, this is a real thing. The video is accurate. It hasn't been tampered with. This is a real video. Okay. Um, which there's a comedian that kind of says, uh, he jokes, he said, yeah, 2020 was so bad that the government said there's aliens and nobody really cares. Like, <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah. I've so, seen that meme. So he starts talking and he's doing these interviews with people and he's like, yeah, but we heard stories about stuff like this all the time. Nobody would talk about it because you want to be like the freaky dude that, oh, I saw a UFO. Like, you know, I'm a, a decorated fighter pilot. I can't be claiming that there's a UFO. I'll just be made fun of or I won't get promoted or I'll get kicked out. Okay. But he tells a story of one of his buddies that was on a, a Navy ship and there's no video of this. Well, till a couple days ago, there's something similar to it. But so this guy, they, they were um, pulling up a drone. It was basically an underwater drone. And for anybody that doesn't know, you know, there's this 
this fiber optic cable that goes under the ocean. And there's always been this game of the Russians like, oh, we're doing research down here. And the Americans like, oh, Noah's here doing research. But they're like going down and tapping this cable and spying <laughs> on each other. And stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, just, just good old-fashioned Cold War spying. Cable thing. tapping, yes. But anyway, so there, there's this naval ship. They have a drone down there. It's probably looking at this cable from what he said. And everybody's standing around. They're watching it come up because what else are you going to do on a boat? You're going to sit there and watch, watch the, the drone come up. The ship's going to pick it up. There's going to be something cool. then something huge came up and grabbed the drone and pulled it underwater and was gone. Uh-uh. Yeah. And, and again, this is just a, a hearsay story that, that okay. his buddy told him that he talked about. Um, so... Fast forward a little more. So now you have these people coming out like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I was on this ship and we'd see that stuff all the time. We're sitting out there and we'd have these things come in, pick them up on radar. We could see them. They would do their thing and then they would fly off. And that was it or disappear. And then some people started saying, and this this popped up in the past few months. It's like trans, um, transmedial crowd. I forget how they phrase it, but it's something that they track that flies above the water and underwater at the same speed with no sonic boom. And the Navy actually said, they said, yes, these objects were tracked and they went hypersonic or supersonic with no sonic boom, which is huge. Yeah. Also, the Navy said like, yeah, we track these things and there's no visible sign of propulsion. So that's another one. So there's no like jet exhaust coming out. If you look at the video, it's an infrared, there's nothing. Same thing when they're under the water? Yeah, it just goes a transmedial transfer or something so it like basically goes underwater to above water and back down just as fast up and down so then you have some of these like george knapp is a guy that's always done like the area 51 bob lazar stuff right and some people say he's a but he is a pulitzer prize winning journalist he just likes ufos it's like kind of cool like and then you have another guy jeremy corbell i think is his name and he does all these documentaries but that you're like yeah you're making money off of it so of course you want to pump up the ufo things but these guys George Knapp specifically has been leaking, like getting these leaked videos, photos and stuff. So again, you go back, this thing happened in 2008, the video was leaked 2019-ish, and the New York Times talks to the Pentagon and they confirm this is a real video. So then this other video comes out and it's like a F-18, naval F-18 flying and they take a picture of this thing with their their cell phone, like click, there's something floating there. And everybody calls it the Batman balloon. It looks like a kid's balloon floating in there. Okay. And then a few weeks ago, they said, oh, no, no, there's more pictures. And then they released some more. And it's like a, a weird circle, like almost looks like a lens flare, but it's not. Like a, it looks like the clouds, like this energy circle. And then a blimp. And the blimp, I mean, you could, you could look these up. It looks like a blimp, a silver blimp with like maybe two things on the top and bottom. And they said, that thing just stayed there, wasn't moving in the wind. We circled it for a long time, and then it just like they circled it with what? Jets. They're in fighter jets. So they're in fighter jets, and yeah. they're watching and, this and thing, the and they're pic- circling it. The picture of it is from the pilot's like iPhone Seven. He took a picture. He just like held up his iPhone, and there was a memo that the the DoD and the Navy said like, "Hey, if you guys see these, if you have your iPhone, take pictures of it. We want to look at this." So they were so cognizant of this going on, they actually instructed their pilots to take pictures with their iPhones. Yes. I have more questions, but keep going. Now, they're, they're not saying this is aliens or anything. They just, like, uh, Senator Mark Rubio, 
during the co- the last COVID package that passed, um, Senator Rubio said like, hey, this is kind of scary. I'm seeing this stuff in the news. Like, we need to figure out what this is because they're only going to like military places, right? They're like, this is one, it's either um, a foreign aircraft okay. that has technology that we do not have or, you know, have anything close to it. Um, it's just a weird phenomenon that's, you know, it could be a natural <laughs> thing, but they don't know what it is. Or it's aliens is basically what he said. And then he he, he went in, he goes like, I kind of hope it's aliens because I don't want this to be like, you know, a Chinese or Russian or North Korean. Right. They'd rather it be aliens. They're doing this. So it's kind of an oxen razor. Yes. So, so then there, this is the controversial one. There's a night vision video. Okay. That the Pentagon came out and confirmed that it was taken from uh, a naval warship. Okay. And it's basically a dude, like if anybody is in the military, you know, night vision, you could have a scope or the goggles. And then if you look at videos, it's like people holding their camera up to the lens to see it. You know, it's not okay. a camera. It's like, you can see that it's just held up. Right. And there's like these weird pyramid, the pyramid shaped objects floating around, but they're also blinking lights. And they said, oh yeah, these pyramid drones came to the ship and we can confirm that we didn't know what they were. To an aircraft carrier? Yeah, I think it might have been like, it was some warship. I don't think it was an aircraft okay. carrier in this one. But okay. um, the thing is, when I saw that one, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So if anyone's familiar with night vision, um, you have a lens cap on it. So if you want to look through it and there's still light, enough light that it you don't want to open up the, the lens all the way, but still see, a lot of these night vision um goggles uh like binoculars they'll have pinholes in them so it could be daytime or low light and you still have the cap on and you could look through it because there's a pinhole and you could still oh, okay. see and this, this it's kind of funny because there was like a picture of um george president bush and also president obama like holding up um binoculars and they have the lens caps and it's like <laughs> well he doesn't even know the lens caps or it's like no, no those, they are, do. those are low light sensitive so when it's light out you keep the lens caps on and you can still see First thing I thought is there is a, a triangle like on the lens cap to let the light in. It's a triangle. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is just a lens flare from an airplane or a drone and it makes it look like a triangle. Oh. That's what I thought. That one, I'm like, that's nothing. But then the Navy said like, no, we didn't know what these are. And then this week, they're kind of like recanting their statement. They're like, well, we're not going to comment on it anymore. Like we could have been wrong. It was filmed by a Navy person, but whatever. Okay, so I've got it back up for a second. So for years and years and years, anybody that had these stories would just be written off as kooks. One of the stories my dad told me was about, because he was a boatswain's mate and they had a a new guy on the boat and he was on the night watch and he's freaking out and goes goes to my dad and says, you know, he's seeing these lights and they're watching and they watch him for a long time. And the kid's like, I don't know what to do. And, and the, the standard was, um, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to say anything. You're not going to do anything. It's not worth it. Okay. So now fast forward, however many years later, and all of a sudden the Pentagon is saying, yes, this is a thing. They're saying it's a thing and um, they're trying to be more transparent about it. But here's the other thing. So in the COVID bill that I was speaking about, there is a provision in it that said by June 6th that, the DOD has to hold a public hearing on UAPs or UFOs. So all the UFO people are like, well, June 6th, they got to release all these documents and do this stuff. 
So they have to release the documents or they're going to accept all the footage and stuff. No, they're going to release it. They have footage. They have a lot of footage. The former secretary of defense, the former head of the CIA came out um, within the past two weeks saying, uh, yeah, there's like, there's a lot of stuff. And we And this is only the tip of the iceberg that we have been watching. And we don't know what it is. And if you think this is crazy, there's going to be more crazy stuff. But the problem is, I don't <laughs> think they're going to like do a public hearing and just be like, here's everything we got, which the COVID bill says they have to do. Okay. Um, but the reason for that, and I respect this, is that there's um, sensor, there's intel gathering. I was going to say, yeah. Instruments. Like you don't want to release like, oh, this is how an F-18 or an F-22 can track something. So they really got to scrub that. They don't want to give any intel right, to our foreign right. adversaries on it. But they have admitted, like, there is a program that's looking at this. This thing happens across the board. We are aware of it, and it's going on, and we have absolutely no idea what this is. So there's another another interesting kind of theory from some of the, the military people, ex-military intelligence okay. guys. Sure. They think that these are simple balloons and drones, and they're laughing because they're like, look, we have all this high-tech sensors, like, we're the most high-tech military on earth and we're being fooled by just simple walmart drones and kids balloons and a part okay. of me is like okay sure. i could see that sure. but at the same time when you listen to commander fravor talk about this stuff he's like no we saw it with our eyes we tracked it go like from you know thirty thousand feet to one foot within less than a second and then off and it's on our radar. So I'm like, yeah, that's I don't a think pretty that's elaborate. And one post. of my friends is like, no, this, these are drones. It's the Chinese messing with us. It's, I hope it's not the Chinese messing with us, but there was another one. So here's, so you have the night vision one where the Navy's kind of like backing off. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're not saying anything. It's probably drones and it's like a lens flare, blah, 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 whatever. Right. And I kind of agree with that. Cause if you, you look at the video, it's like, these triangle things, but it looks like a lens flare and they right. have lights on them. I'm like, well, why would a, why would like a weird, I don't know, alien aircraft have the same lights blinking on it that every human aircraft does, right? Like, okay. what's the point? But there's another one and this was <laughs> taken from, um, I forget the ship, but they tracked one and this is just within the past two days that they came out with this. So if you look at the pictures, they're tracking it. It's like on a gun cam. So, uh, you know, it's like infrared, black and white. There's like the the gun lines and stuff. And you see this thing and it's just real quick photos because this thing was moving so fast. So you figure like they're probably filming at like 60 frames per second. So there's like, it's a dot here. They're tracking it, a dot here over the water, a dot here, and then it goes in the water. And supposedly they still can track it in the water. How? And um, just sonar, like they oh, knew okay. something went in there. They oh, saw so they, this thing go like, so they saw the thing like instantaneously go underwater, still going just as fast and okay. disappearing. Okay. And so, then they started tracking with sonar just for like a second. They knew it was in the water. Okay. And then, um, supposedly, and this is what came out yesterday today is that they dispatched a submarine because they thought it was a crashed aircraft. So the, the, the story is that, yeah, they sent a submarine out and ships out to find this thing because they didn't know what it was. And uh, now keep in mind all this time, the most important weapon development in the history of like the nations right now is what's called a hypersonic cruise missile. Okay. Talk about that for a second. So a hypersonic cruise missile is basically a cruise missile or a okay. missile okay. that goes so fast. There is no way to stop it. There's not even a way to track its trajectory. You're talking something that's going like 
Mach 7, faster than anything that we have. That's and, a little terrifying. And, yeah. And this is what you saw China and Russia kind of like, you know, oh, we have a missile defense system. They're like, well, we have hypersonic cruise missiles <laughs> that the missile defense system can't stop. We have a Hulk, yeah. And, and they go so fast that they don't even have a payload. So right now you have a cruise missile, it shoots, you know, you fire it off, it goes like, I don't know, 100 miles or however long. And it has a payload on it. So when it hits, it blows up. So it's got like a bomb on it. And okay. then, you know, flies smart to the target, boom, blows up. Hypersonic missiles go so fast that they don't need a payload. They're going so fast, just the energy from the speed it's traveling creates like it's a gigantic larger bullet. Yeah, because it's it's basically all the energy. Anybody that was like an artillery person knows that, you know. You fire a bullet this big at this speed, it's right. the bullet, but it's the release of the energy when it stops, it blows it up. So why the, the military and the DOD thinks this is so important to track these things is like, is this um, a hypersonic cruise missile? Like, are we seeing, you know, Russia, oh. China, North Korea, anybody? Um, heck, there's even people saying, oh, no, this is like the Air Force messing with the Navy, which I also like that, too. I also like to think... Um, that if the Air Force had something like this, they're probably messing with the Navy. So I, I don't have a, I think it's entirely believable that um, arms, you know, different branches um, would mess with each other. Oh, because yeah, you know, I mean, they have a sense of humor. I have a really hard time. Well, it, it's it's not even a sense of humor. It's like okay, the Air Force is developing something internally. And they say, we need to test this. We're going to test it. We're going to test Navy, it on the Navy. The Navy has the best sensors, radar, et cetera. What better way to test something yeah. than to fly it over a Navy ship to see what comes out of it, if they can actually detect it, if they see it, if they report it. So, and, I, you know. And they're certainly not, if that's the case, they're certainly not going to say, yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah. But one, another interesting aspect in this whole thing is um, the F-22, F-35, like we're on the sixth generation fighters. Okay. So you have like the F-16s, those are like fourth and fifth. Um, the newer stuff, it's like the um, F-22, F-35. Um, I forget what the Russian and Chinese one, it's like the Sukova. So I, I forget. It's okay. it, There's like a name for it. They all look the same. You see fighter jets and they look like an F-22 or F-35. That's like the newest right. generation. So that, that generation is like 20 years old, actually. We're just getting the planes now. But the Air Force came out a couple months ago and said, oh, yeah, we have a seventh generation fighter. We've already built it and tested it. So, yeah, we're good. And then last week, the, um, the Air Force did a press release about, you know, this is the future of the Air Force. And they actually had a picture of this weird triangle craft, the artwork in oh. it. And so they're saying like, no, we already have the next spider plane. We've built it and tested it. Okay. So I want to back up for just a second. So Marco Rubio put in the COVID bill yes. that the Pentagon had to come out and talk about a public it, hearing of have a public yes. hearing. Yes. So a public hearing where it's just, so that's like a Senate hearing where everybody can be there. Well, I mean, I mean, you could watch it. Like you like, could watch yeah, it, but it's yeah. not. Yeah, like it's, it's not just, a closed door. It's hearing. like any hearing you see. Okay, right, right, right. And watch so hearings all day. They can have a public. Yeah, it's a public hearing on UFOs. Or they call it UAPs and the ATIP program. Right. So my so my question is this: If this is Air Force, like Air Force technology, next generation, then why didn't they just say that? Why didn't they just tell Senator Kamir? Oh, maybe they have, or maybe the Air Force is like, yeah, we don't got to say that. 
So the, the Air Force also, most people don't realize this, but the Air Force has a, a space plane and it's been flying for years. And they even tease it. They're like, oh, the space plane's up. Can you track it? We're not saying what it does. And amateur astronomers have been tracking the space plane. They knew it was in orbit for like a year and a half. And they knew it took off. The Air Force released photos of it, but nobody knows what it does. Nobody knows why it's up there. But the Air Force said, yeah, we have a space plane. And this is at the time when you have like, you know, Elon Musk and people like, oh, we're right. going to go to space and a plane and stuff. The Air Force has been flying a space plane for six years now. And they admit <laughs> it. They won't say what it is. They won't, or what, what it, it does. They, or... They've shared pictures of it and people have seen it land. So that, they're very secretive about this stuff. And, and, and by the way, I'm okay with them developing that. I think it's great. I think it's, um, yeah, I, I, they don't need to give us any information that, that would put anybody but, in jeopardy. But take all that. This is all new, right? So this is like within the past few years. Right. That Commander Fravor video, the Tic Tac and the Gimbal video. Yeah. That was like 2008. Maybe it was 2006. This was almost 15, 20 years ago. Oh, Okay. So, and some of this other stuff is now. So, like, I can understand, like, oh, yeah, it's like weird drone technology. Right, right, but this right. This is way older. The this video, the initial older. video that leaked out was way older, you know. And you, we could go into, like, we're running out of time, but we're like, out reports of time. from so, World War II seeing these things. But anyway, <laughs> that's my UFO speech today. So, I got to ask you before we go are you a believer or not? I'm agnostic on it. I don't oh, know. My that's not a belief. That's an excuse. I just think it's interesting and fun. It's wildly interesting and fun. And I appreciate so much the break. Um, so tomorrow we are going to be having, and if you get our emails, you'll get all the stuff that we're going to do on Facebook Live. We're going to be talking um, with uh, the director of CDOT and also with the Senate Majority Leader, Leader Stephen Finberg about the transportation um, funding uh, proposal that has been um has been introduced and have all your questions. You can send us questions and we'll ask them, or you can go on the Facebook live um, on the action 22 Facebook live and, and uh, submit your questions there. Hey, Chad Borthman, I, I know you're um, listening and I'm sorry that we ran out of time, but I promise we'll have you on at some point to talk about your crop circle um, <laughs> adventures. Um, next, join us next week when I ask a lot of overly complicated questions and Brian McCain tells us which A-list celebrity did a cover for one of his sto- uh, songs that he wrote. We will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.